today's the Bible reading is from uh, Genesis chapter 19, uh, starting from verse 27 all the way through uh, verse 38. Okay, let's read it together. Early the next morning, Abram got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Is it right? Yeah. Uh, he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought a lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot and his daughters left Zoah and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoah. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. And there is no man around here to lie with us. As is the custom all over the, the earth, over the earth, let's get out our father, drink wine, and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine. And the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight. And you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also, and the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father, the older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. Thank you, Sarah. I have to say, in uh, preparing this week's message, I realise why I've never heard a sermon on this uh, particular passage before. It is uh, a complex one. Let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Our sovereign Lord, our King and Saviour, we thank you that everything in your Bible is recorded for a reason. And so we come to this passage today, seeking your wisdom and grace to discern what your word is for us as your people today. 
Lord, please help me to preach faithfully and may you speak to each one according to our need. Uh, And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there any sin of which you can honestly say, I would never do that. I would never steal from you. I would never do that. I would never lie to you. I would never do that. I would never hit my own mother. I would never do that. Really? Are you sure? Is there any sin of which you can honestly say before God, I would never, ever do that? And before you answer, consider this. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom over all the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, and then lie with him, and preserve our family line through our father. Boy, today's passage is a test case. It's a sad story of righteousness gone off the rails. And it reminds us that Sodom's sickness has infected all of us. Even the best will find that sin still dwells within. Consider the legacy of Lot. My goodness, what a lot of trouble he got himself into. Lot's legacy as a father is not a good one. He began well, he finished badly. As a man, he allowed his own daughters to seduce him, not once, but twice. And by incest, he became the father of his own grandchildren. How could he let this happen? It's so shameful. Honestly, it's it's a miracle the man was saved at all. And that's partly what this passage is about. We know, ultimately, that Lot was saved, even though he was saved, as it were, only by the skin of his teeth, as, as one who was saved through the flames of a fire. Yet he was saved. He was saved by the grace of God in answer to Abraham's prayer, which we'll need to look at this morning. Lot would not have been saved had not Abraham interceded for him in his prayer for the lives of the righteous in the city of Sodom. So today we're going to learn about the importance of praying for family members who've wandered from the way. We're also going to be reminded that given the right or is it the wrong circumstances, we're all capable of doing the most foolish things. As Jesus said, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. These are things that happen to all kinds of people. War, for example, has pushed good men to commit the most terrible atrocities. We know that in history. Hunger has driven good women even to cook their own babies and eat them. And I wonder, was it loneliness that led Lot's daughters to justify their incest as the lesser of two evils in order to perpetuate the family line? You can never underestimate the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a way of slithering in and under the skin. 
And if you're living in Sin City, it doesn't matter whether you're young or you're old, you know that the temptations are real. That's why we need to look at Lot's legacy today. For God has ordained that Lot's story should be told to the end, both as a warning against complacency and as an encouragement for us to trust God and to pray. For the Lord knows the thoughts of all our hearts and he is able to save against all odds. So first of all, this morning, I want to pick up Lot's backstory. In particular, who is he and why should I care? This is my first point for today. We heard already in the kids' talk, didn't we? First point is that Lot is Abraham's nephew. He's part of the family. So that's my first point. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Secondly, he lived with Abraham for much of his life. When Lot's father, Haran, died in the city of Ur, it's likely that Lot was left an orphan and was cared for by Abraham and Sarah. At least we know that after the death of Lot's father, the whole family moved from Ur to Haran where they stayed until the death of Abraham's father, Terah. Then in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abraham and called him to go to the land of Canaan. And in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, So Abram left as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him. Lot went with Abram to the land of Canaan. And I tell you, that was the best decision of his life. On that day, he became a follower of Abraham and of the Lord. And for many years, wherever Abraham went, his nephew Lot was sure to follow. But one day, there was an argument between the shepherds of Abraham and the shepherds of Lot. And for sake of peace, Abraham suggested that they should separate for they had too many flocks and herds to stay together. But in the process, Lot dishonoured Abraham. Lot dishonoured his uncle. For when the time came for Lot and Abraham to part, instead of giving Abram first choice, Lot took the best part of the land for himself. He took what seemed to be the best and left Abraham with the rest. No doubt he was hoping to make his way in the world, but he'd actually chosen poorly. For the people of the plain were wicked people, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are etched into our consciousness as places of terrible depravity and sin. In Genesis chapter 13, it says this, So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out east. The two men parted company. Abram pitched his tents in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And this is where Lot went wrong. He started to get rich and he started to get selfish. And by heading east and by leaving Canaan, he was heading in the wrong direction. He was heading into danger, both physical and spiritual, for not only was he moving away from the care of God's covenant family, but he was moving away from the focus of God's promises, which had to do with the land of Canaan. Lot was moving in the wrong direction. And before long, he had to be rescued, not once, but twice. You'd think that once would be enough, but sometimes we're slow learners when it comes to the things of God. Lot was like a Christian who moves away from home and then moves away from church. And so it happened. First, he was captured by a coalition of raiding kings and he needed Abraham to save the day. 
Abraham really is to Lot what Christ is to us. He fights the battle for the sake of his people whom he loves so that we can be set free. And Lot experienced that by the grace of God through Abraham. He has much to thank Abraham for, does his nephew Lot. And then it happened again. It happened again, but this time it was even worse because this time Lot is actually living inside Sin City. He's living inside Sodom in a home, in a, in a residence. He's become a permanent resident of Sin City. And now he's at risk of being destroyed by the wrath of God, as we just saw in today's kids' talk. So he's living in Sodom and he's about to be caught up in God's judgment on that wicked city. And this is important. Because again, if it weren't for Abraham, Lot would not have been saved. Abraham's intercession saved the day. And that brings me to my second point for today about Abraham's intercession. So let's pick up the the story today from verse 27 in our reading. This is straight after Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed by God. Lot's wife's just been turned into a pillar of salt. And then we read verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. We're going to go back there in a moment. The place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Did you notice those words? God remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. You see, Abraham's prayer, Abraham's intercession is crucial to Lot's rescue because the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. So says the Apostle James. God values our righteousness That's important. Just like Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that is what God calls us to as well. So seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, for this is pleasing to God and it will bring many other blessings too. Then learn this lesson today as well. Never give up praying for your family members who have gone AWOL, your wayward family members. Pray that God will have mercy on them, that he might lead them to repentance. For that is how Lot was saved, through Abraham's intercession. Like I said, Lot has a lot to thank God for in his uncle Abraham. But what exactly was it that Abraham prayed? I mean, what was the content of his prayer that saved Abraham's life? Well, to find out, we need to go back 12 hours because this is the morning. We're going to go back to the evening of the day before, back to the visit of those three angels that we looked at last week, if you remember. So I want to pick up now in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, back a couple of pages in your Bible. Just as the visitors are about to leave Abraham and Sarah, it says, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. 
For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Well, there's a big hint here in those last few words about doing what is right and just. And as the three visitors are getting up to leave, Abraham observes, well, they're looking down towards Sodom, where Lot, his nephew, is now living. And then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now, this is where Abraham has gone out to the next morning. This is where the conversation, this is where the prayer takes place. Abraham remains standing before the Lord as the other two angels are heading off for Sodom. This is a special, special moment. It's just you and me now, Lord. And Abraham's heart is moved by his concern for what is right and just. And he's thinking, what will happen if Sodom is destroyed while Lot and his family are still living in it? Won't they be destroyed too? And then Abraham approached the Lord and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow, what a bold prayer. Abraham risks his life by praying such a bold prayer as this because what if God should take offence at his audacity, calling on the God of righteousness to be righteous and to save those who don't deserve to die. Abraham is on solid ground here because after all the Lord is the righteous judge of all the earth and there is an undeniable logic to Abraham's plea for justice and justice is important today. We're going to need to talk a little more about justice today. So the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. But Abraham didn't stop there, did he? In this amazing interaction that unfolds, he he presses his point further. He says, what if there's just five short of the 50? You know, what if there are only 45? And, And again, when God relents the point, okay, if there's 45, I won't destroy the city. What if there are only 40? And again, what if there are only 30? Or again, what if only 20 can be found? He's saying, Lord, please be patient with me one more time. What if only 10? are in the city who are righteous. And you've got to love Abraham for this real prayer warrior negotiating uh, what is the level. And the Lord said, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Turns out, though, there weren't even ten righteous souls living in the city of Sodom. Not even ten. So the next day the Lord rained down burning sulfur on the city. Yet, for Abraham's sake, Lot was rescued, he and his wife and his two daughters. But when they were leaving, as you saw in the kids' talk, Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So now there were just three, Lot 
and his two daughters. All his property was gone, all his possessions, all his flocks, all his herds, all his life savings, all gone, even Lot's wife, dead in an instant when she sinfully looked back to Sodom. They were all gone, burned up and destroyed in God's judgment on Sin City. And now comes the most embarrassing and shameful part of our passage today. We have to talk about it, this unnatural relationship between Lot and his two daughters. For in verse 30, we're told Lot and his two daughters left Zoar, which was the place they'd escaped to first, and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. It strikes me how far Lot has fallen. He doesn't have a tent anymore. He's living in a cave. He's become a caveman. It's a sad, sad story. Lot is now living as a hermit, as a recluse. Is it because of grief? Is it perhaps out of the fear of losing the most precious things he has left in the world, his two daughters? We may never know the answer, but by asking the questions and testing the motives of our own hearts, we may at least learn something about how to handle these kinds of situations better ourselves. We can learn from Lot's legacy how to avoid some of the most painful pitfalls of sin. But as we look at Lot's situation, the most obvious answer, to me at least, is that Lot should have packed up and taken himself and his two daughters back to Abraham. If he'd gone back to Abraham, he could have started over again. He could have found a new place to live. He could have found good husbands for his daughters. Honestly, it didn't have to be like this. I want to suggest that Lot was still being selfish, thinking of himself above others, staying as a hermit, as a recluse, no visitors. And the result was catastrophic. Eventually, Lot's daughters took matters into their own hands. And while their solution was practical, it reflected the standards of the city from which they'd come. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. And she was not aware of it, sorry, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next night, the younger daughter did the same thing. But this is incest we're talking about. This is Sodom's sickness affecting the family of Lot. And while it's the daughters who take the initiative, I actually blame Lot most of all. I think he bears the greater responsibility. Why did he have to stay at Sodom? At first we know he did actually keep his distance from the city. He pitched his tents nearby. But as so often happens, the temptations of the city appear to have drawn him in and he became desensitised to the wickedness that was going on all around him. We know that he even was prepared to have his daughters marry some of the men of Sodom and we know what kind of men they were. But when the warning was given, the son-in-laws to be thought that it was a joke. They didn't go. But Lot had been prepared to have his daughters marry those kinds of men. And perhaps you could argue the sins of the daughters are excusable, diminished responsibility or something like that. Of course we didn't want to do it. 
Oh, but for the love of God, these poor women, these victims of circumstance, what else could they do? Bereft of their mother, cut off from the world by their father, what else could they do but sacrifice their bodies to the greater good and impregnate themselves with their father's sperm? doesn't stack up, does it? You can try and justify behaviour in all kinds of ways, but the truth is you can never underestimate the deceitfulness of sin. Like I said before, sin has a way of slithering in, getting in under the skin. And if you're living in Sin City, you know that the temptations are real, that the compromises that we're prepared to make do creep up upon us. And that's what happened to Lot. Over time, the rot set in. He moved out of his house, out of his tent, into a house. He became a permanent resident of Sin City. As I said, he allowed his daughters to be pledged in marriage to some sodomites. And that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that at one point, Lot was even prepared to hand his own daughters over to the men of the city to be raped. It is sick. It is horrifying, but it's recorded in the Bible as a warning to us all. It's in chapter 19, verse 4, and we're told all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do whatever you like with them. But do not do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. I mean, you read that, you think, what on earth is going on here? How can can this happen? I mean, it's beyond my understanding, but I think it has something to do with the rules of ancient hospitality in that these visitors were Lot's guests and he saw it as his duty to protect them while they were under his roof. But how a father could think of giving his own daughters to a crowd of sex-crazed men is just insane. And yet last night I, I did take the time to watch uh, that documentary I sent out, if you got the BPC Weekly, about Jacinta Price's family. She shares about uh, one of her aunties. That's quite common for Aboriginal girls to be given in marriage, uh, 13, 14. And she was taken off and she's never seen again by a man who'd murdered his previous wife. How could a father let that happen? And yet it happens in our world today, leaving all kinds of unanswered questions. Where's the righteousness in this? Where's the love, the compassion, the faith? Where's the God of justice? Everything about this is wrong. And yet God is forcing us this morning to look at it, and I suggest to look at it and weep. The fact that the Bible has passages about gang rape and incest is shocking but necessary because we don't like to talk about these things. There's a veil of secrecy that hangs over topics like this and every family has skeletons in the closet and we don't want to talk about it 
because it's shameful, because it hurts. But for those who are affected by these sins and for those who want justice to be done, the veil of secrecy has to be lifted and the light of the gospel has to be allowed to shine in. So I need to move on now to the final part of our passage today, which is a record of Lot's children and grandchildren. Call them what you will, for as you know, they are both. This is the sad story of Lot's failure as a father, verse 36 to 38. Both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. Moab sounds like the word Hebrew, from father. So it's a permanent reminder that this child is from father, Moab. The younger daughter also had a son. She named him Ben-Ami, son of my people. He's the father of the Ammonites today. Well, this is a record of shame. And there'll be no congratulations sent to the parents on the news of these births. The Moabites became worshippers of a fertility god. Their festivals involved sexual orgies. Israel got caught out by that just as they were about to enter the promised land. Come and uh, worship tonight. And they did. While the children of Ammon worship Molech, a god who requires child sacrifice. So Lot's children, the children of the nephew of Abraham, went on to become enemies of God's people and caused them no end of grief. This is Lot's legacy to the world. The sort of stuff that's going on in the Middle East today. The seeds are planted in our passage. And then, you look at all this mess, I still see signs of grace. Because I ask myself, what would be missing from the Bible if this passage was just cut out, we didn't know it was, it never never happened, it's not there. What would we miss? We would miss the story of Ruth. Ruth. A Moabite woman who believed in the Lord. She placed herself under the protective care of a man named Boaz. She gave birth to Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. And she is forever remembered as a woman in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. If this passage wasn't here today, we would not have our Messiah. We would not have Jesus. Isn't that astonishing? How God can work in this evil to bring out the saviour of the world. That's grace. And then too, to me, there's the fact that Lot was saved at all. I find it incredible, really. It's one of the great miracles of the Bible that Lot was saved. Against all odds, though, the Apostle Peter insists that he was saved in the end. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it'll be on the screen, he says, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day by day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Lot is no hero of the faith, but by grace he is still our brother. 
One of the wonderful things that the gospel does is this power of redemption that can overrule the sins that we commit. So in conclusion, today's passage has touched on some very difficult subjects and the more I think about it, uh, the more questions I have. I, I think there is so much that we could say here. Incest and rape are already terrible things to talk about, but we've just got to cut it down and just say what we can in the time available. Like I said, uh, just coming back to Jacinta Price's documentary, it is very much, uh, I commend it to you uh, to watch. It just tells you the truth about what's going on in so many lives and the truth is being suppressed. Uh, It needs to come out. The light needs to be shone in these areas. It's disgraceful that the government has turned down the opportunity for that commission that Jacinta Price wants to have. Uh, We need that. Our nation needs it. See, these are real stories about real people. Perhaps you're one of those people this morning, God knows. And what these people want is justice. And they want their stories to be told. Not all the sordid details, but they want to be heard. They want to be understood. They want their lives to be remembered. And most importantly, they want change. They want good to come from the suffering that they have experienced so that others don't have to suffer what they've been through. It breaks the cycle. It allows redemption and forgiveness and hope. And that's what God wants too. I really believe that. That's why God works in these circumstances. The reason Lot story is in the Bible is so that we can talk about things like this, things that make us uncomfortable, that we might be helped by God's word to move in the right direction again, to break the cycle and move not away from God but toward God. And that's why Jesus went to the cross when you think about it. He did it to prove that God is both just and the one who justifies sinners He did it to atone for the sins of the world, including yours and mine. He did it to reconcile us to God and to one another. And he took the wrath of God upon himself so that we can be set free and receive from him the gift of eternal life. So what has God's word taught us today in conclusion? First of all, concerning sin. His word has taught us, I believe, that Sodom's sickness has infected all of us. So this is our problem None of us can say concerning sin that I would never do that. I mean, for example, when Lot set out for Sodom that day with dreams of greatness and planting uh, crops and, I don't know, all his his, uh, herds and flocks of sheep, would he ever have imagined committing incest with his two daughters? Wouldn't he have said, if you'd asked him, oh, I'd never do that. But the truth is, all it took was some alcohol and being desensitised to sin and it happened. So today I say to you, beware of alcohol and drugs. I'm sure there will be some here this morning who struggle with alcohol or drugs and watch out for sexual temptation. Whether you're young or you're old, doesn't matter. It's part of how God made us. also how sin corrupted us 
Even near relatives who live together under one roof need to be careful because incest can happen to anyone. So that's sin. Secondly, uh, concerning repentance. I think God's word definitely teaches us a lesson on repentance today. Repentance means turning away from sin and turning toward God. That's what Lot should have done a lot earlier than he did. He should have gone back to Abraham, that's my view. Back to the care of God's covenant family and back to the heart of God's promises. If he'd done that earlier, he would have saved himself a whole lot of grief. Well, in the same way today, if you've wandered from the faith, turn back to God and come back to church. Don't let your fear or your pride get in the way. Turn back to God. Come back to church. Thirdly, on the topic of judgment, God's word reminds us what we sow in secret often has ways of bearing fruit in public, just like the the birth of Lot's children. Also, it reminds us that those who are affected by such sins as incest and rape will be looking for justice. And they may feel like they can't tell anyone about it for shame or for fear of reprisals. But I believe in the God who is judge of all the earth and will not the judge of all the earth do right? And we as his people need to honour that character of God in our own lives and stand with those who have suffered these sorts of sins. And today we have the cross of Jesus as a declaration that God does stand with those who suffer. Also on the topic of judgment, God's word today reminds us that societies that flout the standards of human decency cannot hope to escape God's divine judgment. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, they will fall. I think that's why our world today is tottering as it is. We are living under the wrath of a righteous God and if we don't repent, we will suffer the consequences. The destruction of Sodom stands as a warning that nations who do these things will not endure and citizens who refuse to repent will face God's wrath and judgment and ultimately hell. Sin, repentance, judgment, grace. I just make the point again that if a man like Lot can be saved by God's grace then so can you. So can I. And finally, prayer. God's word today teaches us never to give up on praying for wayward family and friends. Just like Abraham prayed for Lot and God remembered Abraham and he rescued Lot from the catastrophe that hit the city of Sodom. And so on that note, let's pray. O Lord our God, you who know the sins of every heart and yet love us still, please, Lord, bring your word into our lives this morning according to our personal need. For those who perhaps have suffered from incest or rape or things like that, have been holding on to it all their lives, Lord, may you be merciful and gracious especially to them as a father hold them in your holy arms and comfort them 
place around them godly men and women who can listen and support and encourage and care as you have cared for us. May it be, Lord, that you would shine the light of your truth into those dark places of our own hearts that need to be restored or redeemed, that you would do that miracle work of grace and change us and turn us back to you time and time and time again as often as we need, trusting only in Jesus, your King and our Saviour. And Lord, through grace, give us joy, the joy of seeing victory, the joy of seeing repentance and forgiveness and hope restored. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, challenging, important passage and the reminder that even such a one as Ruth would not have been born had not this sin occurred and that she stands in the line of Christ named in his genealogy. What a joy. And so, Lord, help us to get that eternal perspective on those things that affect us and which we just can't see the sense of at the time. And yet in your purposes, you are able to work that redeeming grace. And we thank you for that, Lord. So as our world around us crumbles and falls into despair, help us to be witnesses of your faithfulness and love that we could bring the hope that we have to the lives of others around us, that they might join the family of your kingdom and your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.